I wanted to do a timely update for everyone, and I thought I could just tag it on to my next episode, but there was some background to this that started getting too long, so I decided to release just a full update with all the context now. If you haven't listened to my episode on Bobby Joe Stinnett, I do recommend starting there first because I won't be getting into the details of the case. We are just picking up right where we left off, and I'm not going to tease out the ending, since I'm sure most of us already know. Lisa Montgomery was executed at 1.31 a.m. on January 13th, which is today as I'm recording this. I want to take us from where my episode left off to the execution. So Lisa had her execution delayed due to her lawyers having COVID-19, and it was set instead of a December date for January 12th, 2021. A Christmas Eve delay on her execution came through, which a higher court overturned on January 1st. They then gave Lisa's attorneys leave to have a full hearing, which they did, but the court stuck with their decision to allow the execution to go forward as scheduled. The issue at that time was procedural about what rule determined how far out an execution could be scheduled or had to be scheduled. It was law nerd interesting, but probably boring to the rest of the world. But this was not the only issue they were pursuing, of course. Among other filings this week, Lisa's attorneys filed a writ of habeas corpus alleging she was too incompetent to be executed. They cited Ford v. Wainwright as the precedent-setting case. This case comes up in death row appeals from time to time, particularly with aging inmates. So let's get into it briefly. In 1974, 20-year-old Alvin Bernard Ford was fleeing from an armed robbery of a red lobster when he killed a police officer. The officer was already wounded, and there is absolutely no doubt that Ford meant to kill the officer in cold blood when he approached the injured man and shot him in the back of his head at close range. Ford then took the officer's car to escape since his accomplices had left him behind. Ford was convicted and sent to death row in Florida. While in prison during his 20s, Ford was diagnosed with something along the lines of paranoid schizophrenia, which is in line with what we know about the typical onset for men. Though he was sane at the time of the crime and competent to stand trial, Ford was rapidly losing competency in prison. If you know anything about the state and accessibility of healthcare in U.S. prisons, just imagine mental health care. Ford had delusions that he was some type of hero figure regularly thwarting crimes inside the prison, in spite of being isolated on death row 95% of the time. The scope of his delusions and how long they continued and the clear decline made it very obvious he was not faking. Ford was evaluated by a panel of three state-appointed psychiatrists, and they found him to be psychotic, but not past the point of understanding what the death penalty was, and that if it was carried out on him, he would be dead, and he understood death was forever. Never mind that he also thought he was the Pope, 
He knew dead meant dead, and that was deemed competent enough. So in 1984, a death warrant was signed by the governor to carry out this execution. The case was appealed all the way up to the Supreme Court, and it was decided that putting to death an insane person, those are the words used, was a violation of the Eighth Amendment prohibition on cruel and unusual punishment. Beyond that, and more to the point in Lisa's case, they set out a procedure for determining this. The state of Florida had sent three psychiatrists to evaluate Ford. It wasn't then presented at a hearing, no information was presented to a judge, and there was no cross-examination of the testimony. It was prepared into reports just for the executive branch. The Supreme Court ruled that this was not sufficient. The appellant needed to have a full hearing with full rights, which included cross-examination and the right to counsel. So this set the precedent, and this was the precedent being presented by Lisa's attorneys. In Ford's case, he was initially determined to be too incompetent for execution. He was then sent to a state hospital for treatment, and in 1989, he was determined to now be competent enough that they could put him to death, but he died of a respiratory infection two years later while the appeals process was still working its way through the courts. Ford v. Wainwright has been cited in other cases as recently as 2018 in Alabama when Vernon Madison was given a stay. He had lost both memories and competency through a series of strokes and the onset of dementia. He didn't even remember his crime, let alone understand why he was in prison or why he was being executed. However, he did die before the case was resolved with a full hearing and such, but he did get a stay based on this. The point isn't that mentally ill prisoners cannot be put to death. It's that if they have compelling claims that they are incompetent, they have a right to a hearing. And if they are found to not understand the nature of what is happening, they cannot be executed. Lisa Montgomery's lawyers had affidavits from psychiatrists, and in accordance with the precedent set in Ford v. Wainwright, they said she deserved the chance to prove this at a hearing. The judge ruled that they made a strong showing that Lisa met the threshold for a hearing and granted it. Then he said the court would set the date for that evidentiary hearing in due course, which is a fancy way of saying he was going to wait to see if it was upheld on appeal before he wrote it in pen in his planner. The stay was overturned on appeal. The court said that the psychiatrist reports were older and not current. And then they said, a crime line's favorite, that the defense should have raised the issue sooner. So Lisa's execution was supposed to occur at 6 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday, January 12th. But her attorneys had spent the day getting every last-minute motion they could into a court and by Tuesday night, there were two outstanding delays that were heading to the Supreme Court. So while they still prepped for the execution, it was not carried out at the scheduled time because things were still in motion. 
I know many of us were staying up late waiting on that. It was around midnight that the Supreme Court overturned the last stay, and Lisa Montgomery was put to death about an hour and a half later. You know I pull back the curtain on podcasting sometimes, but never in a way that inserts myself into these cases I'm talking about. They aren't about me, and I hope what I'm about to say doesn't make it sound like I'm making it about myself. I was not originally supposed to cover this case. I was supposed to cover the Branson Perry and Wendy Gillenwater cases in a crossover with the podcast Fetal Abductions. And we were going to do this back in September when Lisa Montgomery didn't even have an execution date. But the host of Fetal Abductions had some health issues and the show was put on hold. Fast forward a few months and I still had my Wendy and Branson episode sitting there ready to be recorded. And then the researchers of Fetal Abduction and I talked about it and decided that I would just cover both sides of the crossover episode on crime lines. I don't cover many death penalty cases, and I don't work on a lot of breaking news stories. In this instance, I unintentionally ended up doing both. As someone who only glanced the outer edges of this case, I do not know how journalists and attorneys who focus on nothing but death penalty cases and live and breathe these cases and these harrowing stories, do it. I do not know. My thoughts were with them all day yesterday. My thoughts were also with Bobby Joe's loved ones and also with those who grieve for Lisa. Members of Bobby Joe Stinnett's family did travel to Indiana to witness the execution. They were in favor of it being carried out. I hope that they have the support they need through this. Families can be left with complicated feelings following an execution, even when they are in favor of it. Even when it is a net positive in their minds, it can come with some weight. Some families feel relieved when it's over, but others feel blindsided by how little it did to help them heal and some deal with darker feelings than that. Whatever the family feels is valid, and I hope they're surrounded with nothing but love and support as they process and as they continue, as they have for 16 years, to grieve for Bobby Joe. 